If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to read verses 3 through 11. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for love? For lust or for just any reason. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask you, God, for boldness. I ask you for courage. I ask you for truth to be proclaimed and your name to be glorified. The marriage of you to your bride to be glorified, God, and that we could see our purpose in marriage. God, I pray that this message would penetrate hearts. It would cause us to want to strive to improve the way that we live and the way that we serve you, God, and that it would be relevant in this day and time as your word always is, as it has transcended time and transcended culture. God, I pray that this message would come directly to us that we could better serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about marriage this morning. But I promise, because I know everybody in here is not married. So this is, but that does not mean um, you won't be. And so this message, I pray, will be relevant to to all that are here married or unmarried, because marriage is about more than just the husband and the wife. Okay, so we're going to see that today, but I want you to look um, right there in verse 11 at the, or or verse 10, no, verse 11. No, it's verse 10, I'm sorry. His, His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. And that verse right there got me to thinking quite a bit. And the reality is, some things never change. Jesus was putting forth such a unique view of marriage in this passage that the disciples thought it was so extreme that we would be better off to not even, not even to get married. And I wonder, how many times have you heard something similar to that? How many kids have been raised in a way that the marriage that they saw in their household scarred them enough to where they thought it would be better if we didn't even get married? I know several. Personally, I've talked to several. One of the smartest kids I ever had in class said that very thing. And that's disturbing because many of these people are professing Christians. I saw the other day one of the things that got me thinking about this. I don't know if you guys know who Dusty Devers is. He is a pastor in Elgin. And he has been recently elected to the Oklahoma Senate. I believe he's a senator. And he has now written a bill that he wants to make it more difficult to get a divorce in Oklahoma. 
It's great. It's awesome. One of the main things, that, and which I'll just let you know, as you can probably imagine, this is being met with much resistance. It's incredible how many people are mad because my marriage, it's going to be harder for me to get divorced. Shouldn't it be a difficult thing? And it is way too easy to get divorced in our culture, in our state, in our country. But one of the things that he's wanting to change is he wants to, make, he wants to remove incompatibility as a legal grounds for divorce. You're going to have to have a better reason than we just don't, we just, we just, we're incompatible. Well, first off, did you not think about that before you got married? I mean, come on. But that's one, that's the biggest thing. That's the one that the, the, which imagine the lawyers are not happy about this. Well, it's going to cost, it could cost them some money, right? It, It all goes back to that, but. When I saw this on the news, the the disturbing thing was that it said nearly 80% of the divorces in Oklahoma are listed. The reason, the legal reason for divorce is we're just incompatible. That means the majority of marriages in Oklahoma end in Oklahoma just because we just can't get along. And every time I turn around, I see another marriage struggling, failing, and ultimately ending in divorce. And most of the time, it's that incompatibility is the reason. What you notice there in chapter 19, that one's not mentioned as a reason for Moses to give a certificate of divorce or anything out of Jesus' mouth. Well, we just don't get along anymore. Or we'll talk about, we just don't, we're just not in, I fell out of love We'll talk about that as we go. But so many times when you see the marriages fail, there was no fight. There was no struggle. There was no hard battle fought. Nobody making hard sacrifices on either side in order to make this thing work. And that's why I really appreciate what Dusty Devers is trying to do. Although I don't think changing the law is really going to change that much because what is the problem? The problem is not the law. The problem is the heart of men, the heart of women. 45% of the marriages in the United States right now will end in divorce. That's the statistics. 45%, almost half. 60% of of the second marriages will end in divorce. And, of course, there's a push, a major, major push against marriage in general. How do you avoid divorce? Don't get married. You don't get divorced that way, right? The sanctity, the the beauty of marriage has been lost in our culture. It has been lost in the church in general, and that's why I am preaching this today. If you want to find some interesting reading, just promise me you won't believe it. Go read some of the worldly knowledge on marriage. Go read some of the world's wisdom on how outdated marriage is and how it is no longer a benefit to be married. That There's plenty of things to read. There's plenty of talk shows to watch that say those very things. It's no longer beneficial to be married. Wow. That's delusion. Those people are delusional. But the delusion is not unfounded. Okay? The delusion is not unfounded because they've grown up in homes where the marriage may have been worse than not. Is that possible? Yes. It is. We see it all the time. We see times when it, these poor kids are getting drug pulled apart in many different ways or they're getting abused. And, I mean, all of those things are real. But that doesn't mean the, the institution of marriage 
is bad. It just means the people that are trying to live this out are so twisted and warped and far from God that it has, it has tainted the institution. It's ruined the sanctity of marriage a lot of times. So marriage is not outdated, and there is a major benefit. But some of the top reasons that people think that marriage is an outdated concept, here's some of the reasons given. Well, it fails most of the time. Okay? That, that really means nothing. If you want to try to use logic on that, well, if it fails most of the time, that means, what about all the times that it doesn't fail? And actually, it's not even to the point where it, I mean, not even over half are ending in divorce yet, so that's not even necessarily true, but that's one of the reasons given. Another reason is most people prefer being happy and content today rather than to sacrifice themselves for the sake of relationship. This idea that you deserve to be happy is false. You have joy in Christ, but you don't deserve it. And the Christians that are buying into this stuff, that happiness, what your happiness is the most important thing. How many times have you heard that? How many times do you hear that, read that, see that? It's permeated our culture. You can watch TV shows, and this guy that was a mass murderer gets out of prison, and the people are telling him, well, you deserve to be, your happiness is most important. What? You don't, but you don't think about it. It's, it's been driven in. Another one, this, today's generation does not want to surrender their dreams in case their partner or relationship is holding them back, which often happens in marriage. If I wasn't married, I could be twice as rich. I could be climbing the corporate ladder because I could be moving here and moving there, and I could fly, I could ch- take a job in California. I could take a job in New York, whatever. It's easy to move, but that marriage is holding me back. Let me tell you something. You take those jobs, you move here and there, and you climb right up to the top of whatever ladder it is, whatever goals you think you have. And at the end of all that, you will die alone. But if you have a good, solid marriage, and what comes with that with children, and then you have grandchildren, you may not be at the top of any kind of earthly ladder, but when you die, you'll have a room full of people that love you. So the the reality is... People are saying that marriage just marriage just may not be valid anymore, and the reason is because of the the old reasons to get married lacked the same visions of marriage that Jesus had. There was a lot of reasons that people got married, and they weren't necessarily bad, but they weren't necessarily biblical. And so, what we want to do is look at a biblical version of marriage and Jesus told us that would be the case in verse 11 he said all cannot accept this saying but only those to whom it has been given only those to whom it has who it has been given and it's no surprise that a time and a culture where men and women worship themselves above all And in a time and place where unbridled sexual relations are higher than ever, Jesus' view of marriage is not only rejected, but it is detested. But I'm here to tell you today that if you are a born-again Christian, this saying has been given to you, and you have the ability to accept this saying. It is given. It is a gift. And you've probably heard the statistics that the, the, the divorce rate is just as high among Christians as it is non-Christians. And statistically, the way that they do the polls, that is true. However, I would say this. I would qualify that. It is just as high among professing Christians as non-Christians. I do not believe And I will not believe that it is just as high among those who are truly born again, 
believers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dislikes divorce. The Holy Spirit hates divorce. God hates divorce. And he will and he is living and dwelling in his people and he if you want to see a marriage fought for find a christian they will fight they will fight for their marriage i've seen it i've seen marriages on the rocks i've seen them on the brink of disaster and god intervenes why because he loves his people and he has given us this wonderful institution that is very much a benefit to us and to his glory. So the divorce rate is not the same with those who are true Christians. But why why do we have why do we have people that are professing Christians? And that doesn't mean that there's not true Christians that have gotten divorced. I'm not here to say that. I'm not That's not my place to say. But it does mean I do believe that it's less likely. But why do we have such a problem within the church, within Christianity, with marriages struggling? And Paul Wilson said it a while back. Christianity is a mile wide and an inch deep. There is theology behind marriage. Understanding who God is makes your marriages stronger. Understanding the purpose of marriage according to the word of God makes it stronger. And so that's what we want to do. So today we want to see some depth of God's word in marriage. How to be married. How to prepare yourself for marriage if you're not married yet. How to redeem a marriage that may be struggling. There's lots of ways to do that through the Word of God. And so we, we can do that without the distorted images of the world. But it is difficult. It is difficult for this to happen because we have, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Does a fish know it's wet? I mean, I don't know. I can't find one to talk. Don't say a word. It's an inside deal. I'll tell you later. So, fish can't talk. So, um, but does a fish know it's wet? And the, the illustration is it's so engulfed in the water, it's just used to being completely engulfed in the water, it doesn't know what wet is, right? And that's the way we are with sin, and that's the way we are with our culture. We don't even know. I, I mean, I don't know how much my view has been distorted on marriage by the world. It's been distorted. It's been a lot. And I find things in the Scripture as I start to study and as I'm preparing this message. I find things that's like, I had never thought about that. I've read this passage before, but I had never thought about that. This is God's view. It's so opposite of the world's view that it's sometimes shocking. And it's sometimes hard to understand it. And it's sometimes hard to even follow it. But... We want to try. We want to take a look at the Christ-centered marriage. So let's look at, first off, it was created by God. Biblical marriage was created by God. God performed the first wedding ceremony in the Garden of Eden when he saw it wasn't good for man to be alone. Turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Look at Genesis 2:18. This is right after Adam had made or after God had made Adam, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, at this point, this is interesting. At this point, Adam doesn't even know it's not good for him to be alone. But God knows it. God, all-knowing, he knows it and he says it. And so he gives us that in his word. And so we know that it is absolutely true that it is not good for man to be alone. So he's going to make him a helper. But look at verse 19 and 20. It says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all 
cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And so when God is bringing these animals to Adam, Adam starts to notice, oh, there's those cows right there. There's, a, there's, there's two. They seem to be compatible together. There's, there's one that looks like the other. And then these dogs come. And, oh, and these birds, there's, there's one that looks like the other. And as he's naming all these animals, he's beginning to notice there's, there's, none of those look like me. Now, remember, this is, it's, it's really interesting when you read Genesis. I find it fascinating because none of this has ever happened before. I heard some people talk about, well, why wasn't Eve shocked when the snake talked? Everything was new, right? I mean, it wasn't like, well, I've been living for thousands of years. People have been on the earth for thousands of years and nobody's ever seen a snake talk. No, everything was new. It was possible for anything. So here Adam's, these, these animals are being brought to him and he's, not, he's noticing things. and he's, So he notices there was not a companion for him but at the end of verse 20 we see that adam was alone he he now after seeing everything everything else there's nothing like me now look at verse 21 through 24 and the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall on adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place then the rib which the lord god had taken from man he made it into a woman and he brought her to the man, and Adam's taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God instituted this covenant of marriage with the first two people on earth. What was its immediate purpose? So they would not be alone. Companionship. A helper. Marriage is a union between a man and a woman so that they can help one another in the matters of life. It's a a person to spend the rest of your life with. It's a person to share your hopes and dreams and failures and disappointments, sadness and pain with that will be there no matter what. And as we move back into the New Testament, turn back over to Matthew, back in chapter 19, Jesus reveals this in a deeper way, as he many times does. Chapter 19, verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? They're trying to trap him. They're playing games. If you want some advice, don't get into a wit battle with Jesus. He's smart, turns out. Uh, Yeah, he's all-knowing. He can read their hearts and he reads their minds, and uh, their trap doesn't work. But that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to test his knowledge and understanding of the law. Not smart. There were two schools of thought on this particular subject among the Pharisees. The Pharisees were divided here. Some of them, some of the Pharisees believed that a man could only divorce his wife in cases of uncleanness, fornication or adultery. And the others believed basically she could be put away for any frivolous reason. Basically a man, if she burned the toast, hey... A man has the full control over that. And they were divided on that particular topic. So when they asked this question, they knew it would cause, or they thought it would cause one side or the other to dislike Jesus. They're going to trap him on taking a side. And what, is, what does his answer say? Verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Having you not, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man 
separate. So his answer was quoting Genesis. He was quoting what we just read in Genesis. And there are a couple of things that we should note while we're here, uh, just on that particular topic. When it says a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, that also means that the wife must leave her father and mother and be joined to the man, okay? They no longer depend on the parents for sustenance, spiritual or physical headship, comfort or control. They're to become together as one flesh. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here to the Pharisees. When this happens... When marriage takes place, you are no longer your own. And that's why divorce should be difficult. That's why it should be an absurd thought, divorce should be. Why? Because this covenant took place under God, and it is not just some natural union. This is not a partnership. These two are becoming one flesh. This is spiritual. This is practical. The wife is not a partner, but the other half. The husband is not a partner, but the other half. But then Jesus brings in some more depth. He brings in more clarity to marriage at this point. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. This shows us that God not only instituted marriage, but he is actually the one who joins the two people together in a one flesh union. It is him doing the joining. And that is not to be taken lightly. That is not to be discarded because of some frivolous reason. And look at their response. They said to him then, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? They thought they had him. Well, yeah, but Moses, Moses gave a certificate of divorce. Moses said it was okay. Boy, look at the response. Here's where the hammer comes in. In verse 8, he said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. That means before the fall, before sin had tainted the world, There was no divorce. There was no separation of Adam and Eve. God joined them together. He created Eve for the purpose of Adam's companionship. And there was no such thing as a splitting of that. There was no man that could set that asunder. But because of the hardness of your hearts, because sin that entered the world, and because men are so sinful, there's times when they cannot make it work. That's the reason he allowed it. But he said from the beginning it was not so. And my question is to the Christian, to these 45% of Christian marriages that fail, have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered that the fact that from the beginning God instituted this forever, for, for the remainder of your lives, that marriage was to hold? Because the hardness of your hearts. Is that what you want? Is that the reason your marriage is failing? Probably. Is that the reason your marriage is struggling? Probably. The hardness of your hearts. But now Jesus is restoring the original intent of marriage. He said from the beginning it was not so. And even, turn, turn over to Malachi. Even in the time when it was allowed, even before this conversation took place, Malachi chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2 verse 13 says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover, cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. The world does not know this. The world does not understand this. Many professing Christians do not know this. But we've been given instruction. So let let me recap here. God created man and woman for the purpose of companionship. 
and created the institution of marriage for them to enjoy. Then he, we're talking the God of the universe, joins them together in marriage. John Piper said this. He said, when a couple speaks their vows and consummates their vows with sexual union, it is not man or woman or pastor or parent who is the main actor. God is. God joins them together. But yet, there's still more. There's still more depth to the meaning of this institution that the world cannot and will not see apart from Christ opening their eyes, apart from the Holy Spirit revealing it to them. And that we see after Christ completes the gospel and fulfills the covenant that was made with Abraham. Further revelation of marriage was given. Now we'll see that marriage also exists to reveal to to reveal God and his gospel in a way that no other institution can. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 31. This will sound very familiar. This is Paul talking. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So we see Paul quoting the same scripture in Genesis that Jesus quoted, but then in 32 he reveals more depth, the great mystery, the great mystery of marriage, and that is that it is a picture of Christ and the church, and that's what we are to model in our marriages. Your marriage has an influence on the people around you, especially the ones that know you closely, to reveal, to help them understand the gospel. That's what Paul says. Now, I'm going to change gears just a second because I want to take a very practical look at how to walk this out. A very practical way for husbands and wives to walk this out. A very practical way for single people who are here to evaluate, to consider, to look on these things. And how going forward, you can have a better start in this than I did. Because I didn't know these things before I got married. I fumbled my way through. But you can prepare yourself better as a single lady as a single man as a young lady or a young man to prepare yourself so that your marriage will be a picture of the gospel so according to ephesians husbands are to love their wives as christ loves the church to love your wives as christ christ loves the church and and this is where i think the big disconnect from our culture this is the reason why people can't see what Jesus said. You can't see it unless it's been revealed to you because we have such a distortion of what love is. Because we're commanded to love our wives. And if we are commanded to love something, then that means we have some control over the love. If love is a command, then that means it's an action and not a feeling. So this whole nonsense about I fell out of love, garbage. Absolutely false. You can't fall in love. You can't fall out of love. What that is is a feeling. That is an emotional high that happens. And probably most everybody has experienced it. And it's one of the reasons that I'm against dating at a young age. Because you have these emotions and these hormones and everything's raging around. And you think you're in love. And it is no more love than the beetle walking under your feet. That is not love. Love is an action, and it's proven in Scripture. Now, it's interesting in this passage where, where husbands are commanded to love, the wives are commanded to submit. And I think there's been times when, when it has been overemphasized that the husbands are to love and wives are to submit. Because Titus 2, in Titus 2, it says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands or to teach the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, 
chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be blasphemed. They are to be taught to love their husbands. And again, so we see this again. If you can be taught to do something, it's not a feeling. I can't teach you how to feel. I can't do that. But I can teach you how to do something. I can teach you how to act. So if if the older ladies are to teach the younger women how to love their children, that means love is an action. If you can teach someone to love, it's an action. If you can learn to love someone, it's an action, not a feeling. So what does that look like? Well, for the man, it looks like it says in Ephesians that he would lead his household, that he would lead his wife in the Word. He would lead his wife in the Word. He would lead her in prayer. He would lead his household in the Lord and following the Lord. But listen, actually turn to James. James chapter 2, verse 15 says, if brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Listen, men, what does it profit? This may shock you, but if you're trying to be Mr. Spiritual and lead your wife in the Word and in prayer, but you're not meeting her physical needs... Don't be surprised if she doesn't respond. You have a call. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Matter of fact, I don't care how spiritual you want to act. If you are failing to meet your wife's physical needs, you are worse than an infidel. Your Bible studies mean nothing if you're not doing your job. And by the way, this this includes more than just providing a paycheck. Although that is included. You're to provide what they need. You're to provide food. You're to provide shelter for your family. Absolutely. But this also means more than that. Meeting her need includes way more than that. In a very practical way, it may mean you have to help around the house. Yeah. You may need to do the dishes, the laundry, mow the lawn, change a diaper. You may need to be the one to wake up in the middle of the night when the baby's crying. And not just the physical things, but emotional as well. When was the last time you recognized your wife for all the work that she does? For all the time that she spends with your children teaching them? discipling them, cleaning their clothes, cleaning your clothes, cooking your food, for keeping the home. You know, we there's a lot of homeschool families in here. And the men go to work, and the women stay home with the kids, and they, they're working two, three jobs, basically. Because now they're a teacher, and they're having to, the, to spend countless hours preparing and teaching the children their lessons. And they're somehow in the middle of that, they're keeping a house, they're cleaning, they're doing laundry, they're cooking food. They're the lunch lady, and the teacher, and the bus driver, and the principal, and all of those things wrapped up in one. And I know how much work that takes. And the husband comes home, and his job's done for the day. He got off work. That is not glorifying to the institution of marriage. You should at the least recognize and show appreciation of that. But when you get home, you prepare to start your second job, gentlemen. And you don't, the work doesn't stop when you come through the door. And trust me. This is not just for you. This is for me. But why? Because that is your bride. And love is an action. Now, here's where the advice comes to the single men. Are you prepared to do that? 
to be, mar- to be married is to die to yourself and to live for Christ. And you live for Christ by serving your wife the way he serves his. The way that Christ serves the church and died on her behalf is the way that you are entering into marriage. And if you, and if you feel like you're prepared to meet her, if, you, if you, you feel like you're prepared to meet her physical and spiritual needs, men, then start praying for a wife or continue praying for a wife. But I'm gonna, this is just some other advice. While you're praying for a wife, because I, I know there's men in here who seek to be married. Seek to be content in Christ. Do not make marriage an idol. Same to the single young ladies in here. Do not make marriage an idol. Seek to be intent in Christ and he will provide the wife of your youth when he sees it fit. But in the meantime, prepare yourself in these ways. And if you know you aren't prepared to meet those needs, then forget about a wife right now and start learning to prepare yourself so that you can do those. Prepare yourself to meet those needs and practice dying to yourself for the bride of Christ right now. To think about somebody other than yourself and to learn how to provide those physical needs. Learn a skill. Guess what? Whenever you get married, gentlemen, it's not just about providing a paycheck. You also become a plumber. An electrician, the lawn care guy, diaper changer. There's a lot of things that you will have to learn. Start learning them now if you're single. You guys got YouTube. I mean, you can learn anything with that. I mean, I'm serious. Learn a skill. Learn how. If you don't know how to change a tire, if you don't know how to change oil, you're also the mechanic. Trust me, when you get teenage daughters driving, you're not putting them in the best cars on the road. You're going to have to learn how to fix them things. And I spend a lot of time reading those mechanic forums trying to translate what these guys are saying. Why? Because that's my bride. Love is an action. All right, ladies, you're not off the hook either, though. What are you to do? What are you to do? You're to learn to love your husband. That is not a feeling. You don't fall in love with your husband. You don't fall out of love with your husband. You learn to love him. This is an action. How do you love your husband in a biblical manner? You submit. What Paul says, submit to him. You let him lead both spiritually and practically. Now, this doesn't mean that you have no input. This doesn't mean you just blindly follow whatever he says. Your first head is Christ, but as long as your husband is not leading you away from Christ, you are to submit to him. And you're to encourage him in this role. Listen, there's a difference, too, between encouraging and nagging. Because ultimately, if he's not leading, that's not on you. That's between him and God. And you follow when he leads, but that's not your job. You're not the Holy Spirit. Your job is not to convict him of his shortcomings and nag him into forcing his way to lead. But you're to encourage him to lead. And you're to pray for him in his role. And when it comes to those other things I mentioned to him that he needs to be doing, ladies, let him. And guess what? He will not do it as good as you. When he's folding the laundry, I actually had this happen. I had had advice as a young married man, a guy told me, he said, I can tell you how you don't ever have to do laundry, you don't have to do dishes, anything. I said, how's that? And he goes, do it really bad. which I do, but she has learned to let me help even if I do it really bad. And I know it drives her crazy, even when I make the bed. 
it's not near as good as when she makes the bed. When I do laundry, well, usually I'm only allowed to do my own because if I run my clothes, it's not so bad. But the thing is, men strive to do better, but women, it's not going to be perfect. The diaper won't be put on there exactly the same as you did. And it may not be the same time you would do it. You want the trash taken out right now? Maybe he's in the middle of something. He'll say, I'll get it in a minute. Let him have a minute. Now, gentlemen, a minute is not three days. We got to keep all this in balance, right? We got to keep all this in balance. But it is, it's, it's practical. You're to encourage him and you're to let him help. And it doesn't have to be the exact way you would do it, it doesn't have to be the exact moment you would do it. It's actually irrational and unfair, but very common for a woman to complain about the way her husband helps around the house and then complain when he doesn't help around the house. Have you done that? The easy solution, don't complain. Okay, so what about the single ladies? Are you prepared to learn how to love? I'm going to tell you something. This guy, he's, he's got issues. And until you live with him, you won't know him. <laughs> and... 20 years later, they may still be finding new ones. That's what a helper does. That's why anybody that says marriage is not beneficial is absolutely absurd. You should have seen my house before I got married. I mean, and I wasn't anywhere near as sloppy as my roommate. But, I mean, we lived like... Just, I mean, it was, looking back on it, it was embarrassing. And you should have seen my wife's lawn before she got married. <laughs> that's, that's how I got her. I mowed her lawn. She didn't even have to ask me. It was awesome. <laughs> but anyway, are you prepared to learn how to love? Young ladies, are you prepared to learn how to love? Are you prepared to put the feelings of being in love to the side and commit yourself to loving a man who many times is unlovable? And that's the same way to the young men. Are you prepared to put your feelings and whatever idea of romance Hollywood has put into our minds aside and love that woman with all your heart, with all your action, even when you don't necessarily feel like it? That's what marriage is. Women or ladies, are you prepared to submit to an unperfect man? And are you prepared to keep a home in a practical manner? If you're not, then you need to study Jesus. And you need to get to know him. And you need to learn to submit to him. And as you do that, be content in him before you seek a husband. And if you are ready for that, and only you can really know, but you can get some advice because people that know you well can help you answer those questions. Pray for a husband, but yet seek to be content in Christ. And those are the practical applications of marriage. And so I'll, I'll end with this quickly. Jesus Christ has set his affection on his bride And he came with a contract and with a bride price. How much affection did Jesus have for his bride? How much love did Jesus show in action towards his bride? We can tell how much by the price he was willing to pay. It was the highest bride price that has ever been offered or ever will be offered. His affection for his bride is on a level that we cannot understand. We cannot fathom it, how much you feel like you love your bride, how much you feel like you would die for her. We are not even close to the level of affection that Christ had for his bride. What was the price he gave his life 
He willingly died in our place. And more than that, he bore the wrath of God, the anguish, the despair, the crushing weight of true justice bearing down on him on the cross. Why? Because you sinned and I sinned. And he loved us enough to bear that for us. He loved his bride enough and he showed it with his actions. And now we are the bride waiting for his return. And this is the institution that he has given us in marriage. This is the picture of him and his church. And make no mistake, your marriage is a witness to the world. And most importantly, it is a witness to your children. How you go through this life, and when you're married and you have children, they see it more clear than anybody else. And that's why we have a generation of people that have a disdain for marriage because it was abused in front of them. It was misused and it failed over and over again. We've seen failures, but let that not be our testimony. Let that not be your testimony. Make your marriage a picture of Christ and His bride that your children can look at that and no matter where they go, No matter how far they stray, they will always know, my dad loved my mom. He loved her with his actions, not with his words, not with his feelings, although those things follow, but he loved her and I saw it. And my my mom loved my dad. And let that point to Christ. The reason that works, the reason marriages are strong is because Christ, his marriage is strong. And he will return. Christ will never leave his bride. And our marriage should be a reflection of that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, first of all, for making me a part of the bride. For choosing this this way, for choosing this gospel, for the bride price, for selecting and the promise that you will return. I praise you for that, God, and I praise you for my wife. And I pray, God, that I could show her love even close, even in, in a reflection of what you have done for us, that I could love her that way. And I pray that for all of our marriages here at Sovereign Grace. I pray for the marriages that are, the the people that are already married, I pray that you would strengthen their marriage, that this word would, would penetrate their hearts and that they would strive to love one another more. And I pray for the single people who are seeking to get married, God, that you would provide them a spouse, that you would prepare them to love their spouse the way that Christ has loved us. And in his name I pray, amen.